Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 101, Raised with Christ. Last episode, I introduced you to Sam Frost, former hyperpreterist, who joined us to share his story uh, in and then out of the hyperpreterist movement. Um, he explained to us that he was raised in a dispensational church home. Uh, he uh, sort of unquestioningly accepted the dispensational view of the end times. Uh, and then as he began to study more, he discovered preterism and found that it, uh, that it answered some questions that he couldn't answer as a dispensationalist. But unfortunately, preterism wasn't enough. There were still questions that he didn't think that it uh, answered. And so uh, he found himself a believer in hyperpreterism. And then uh, he shared with us his story of how he became very influential and, uh, you know, a big name within the hyperpreterist movement, authoring books, uh, speaking at conferences and things like that. And where we left off last time was he had just begun to share with us the first thing that began to convince him that hyperpreterism uh, had some serious flaws, and that was the concept of uh, infinity and the uh, relevance that it had to God's knowing the full number of his elect. Uh, that was where we left off, so now we'll go ahead and jump right back into the interview. Raised with Christ. From the grave of darkness into the marvelous light. Raised with Christ. Now the life I live is joy and peace and bright. Death has been defeated. I have a brand new life. The grave of sin can hold me, for I am raised with Christ. But, but let's talk then more about the resurrection, but from a bit of a different angle, from John 6 anyway. Um, and I'd like to take some time with this more than anything else, and because it's my personal opinion that uh, the most heinous, and I, I'm comfortable using that word, the most heinous aspect of hyperpreterism is their denial of the bodily resurrection, in my view anyway. Uh, and so I'm going to take some time with this. You talk about how a proper understanding of anthropology and what it is to be a human being means that Jesus must have been raised from the dead with the physical body in which he had lived and must have continued to have that body. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. This is another area where we wander into anthropology, biblical anthropology. And so basically we were Platonist. Um, man is a soul that's trapped in a body. Mm. And uh, when you die, your soul goes to heaven and that's it. I mean, that's here's the full preterist gospel in a nutshell. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and when you die, you go to heaven. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's pretty <laughs> much it. There's, right. Um, there's nothing more to it than that. So heaven is the goal, not heaven on earth. Heaven. Yeah. That's the whole goal. And so naturally, you don't need a resurrection for for that. You need just re regeneration. We would confuse regeneration with resurrection. What we were trying to do is make resurrection regeneration. So there's a conflation of which the you know the reformed distinguish between re regeneration and, and resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't. You know, we just kind of brought all of that in together. So that was, that was that, and then we're in the corporate idea, which is very much a theological idea that, you know, hyperpreterists didn't invent this, and Max King was bringing out Herman Ritterboss and Charles Hodge, and this corporate aspect is certainly going on in Pauline theology. He has a corporate idea, and it's a Hebrew idea. 
you can you can you can see it in the Old Testament where one person represents the entire nation. Mm. You know, you see that kind of thing. So Jesus is one person that represents the entire church. His body represents the entire church. So his death was the death of the those that are in Christ coming out of Adam, and his resurrection was the resurrection of the body for those that are the body of Christ. And that's how we did it. That, I can't go into more detail, obviously, for time, but that's pretty much where we were going with it. That's resurrection of the dead. He is the resurrection. Yeah, but, if but you're in him, you're raised from the dead, period. But he but according to hyperpreterism, he didn't continue to have that physical body that raised from the dead, well, right? Yeah, we're not gonna get into don't don't mess it up with details. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So right. we would we would we had this idea that Jesus when he ascended into heaven, he kind of his his physical body kind of i guess dissipated that's the word i used wow um he sloughed off his body uh now why did we do this well if he's in heaven in a body you know a man christ jesus with arms and legs in heaven with a physical body glorified and transformed of course but nonetheless a spatial body a body that occupies space in heaven then this receiving of Jesus in heaven until the restoration of all things. Mm. Well, you have a bodily presence of the man Christ Jesus, which you and I have never seen. I've never touched him, I've never handled him, and I've never seen him. Then you have the spiritual omnipresent, Lagos, the second person of the Trinity, who's omnipresent. Well, what kind of coming was AD 70? How would you describe that as a... well? That was the coming of the Lord. That was the uh, well. Now wait a minute. We have several of these going on in the Old Testament. We call them epiphanies or theophanies, and there's a bunch of them in the Old Testament. God comes down to Lot. He, I got to come down out of heaven against Sodom and Gomorrah. He does this a lot. So we were just trying, so you see, it sets up a different thing. If we've got a body of a man, Christ Jesus, in heaven, and we haven't seen that yet, and we haven't been in that presence yet, then what presence was it that came in eighty seventy? I see. So we had to make that distinguish, and I always say in a Sopranos kind of way, we had to get rid of the body. <laughs> we, just, we had to get rid of the body because that was a, it's a problem. It creates a problem, so just get rid of it. Well, and so we got rid of it. I did. And uh, Don Preston does, Alan Bondar, and, and uh, Mike Sullivan and Dave Green, they all argue, vehemently argue, against the continuing incarnate body of the Lord, which, upon further research is heretical just in of itself. Forget the rest of the eschatology. Just that aspect right there goes against the foundations of the creedal understandings of the, na of the human nature of Christ. For them, human nature is defined as body and soul, mm. indissolubly linked. And so when they referred to the second person of the Trinity with two natures, one very human, the other very God, what they were affirming in the very human is the continuing, what their definition was, was He's a man in heaven with a body. Yeah. That's human nature. So now we're into Christology. Yeah. It doesn't, it, just, it spills into every experience. Yeah, so now we're into that. this. And I'm like, man, we're just, how can we continue to call ourselves Christians when we're slowly redefining fundamental aspects? I haven't even gotten into our denial of progressive sanctification. Which you talk we about dropped, in your book and all. We dropped that one like a, <laughs> we, had, we had to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So now we're just dropping all these doctrines and redefining them, but yet we still want to join churches and let them know that we stand hand-to-hand -hand with our Orthodox brothers and we're not that bad. I see. Yeah, which well, is just crazy. Yeah, definitely. D.D. <laughs> uh, D. Warren, yeah. Now I understand D.D. Warren. 
because she was like, no, you guys are crazy if you think you can join us and call yourselves legitimate Christians. Right. Yeah. Not, but at the time, I didn't see it. I just, I, I was just, you know, psychology. You're, you're just convinced. And Gary North, he said, don't take it so bad. We all have blind spots. He said, I've got stuff, you we know, I've changed over the years. He said, don't, he goes, look, you came out of it. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. And I said, oh, yeah, oh, thank you. That helps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know. Well, so, but there's a reason, or there, there's there's something within the text of 1 Corinthians 15 there that, uh, that uh, hyperpederists think we have a problem with, okay? And it's this analogy that, that Paul uses about the, uh, he uses the analogy of, of a seed. Uh, Paul says that the, par well, first of all, Later, when he talks about the body being sown, I think it's clear that he's saying that the body that is sown is the body that comes up out of the ground. But, yeah. but in the analogy, uh, Paul, wh what do hyperpederists see as the problem with the chronology in that analogy of the seed? Um, you'll find it often taught that Paul is talking about the form of death here. And so for us Americans or English, you know, we'll read this. And, and it's, you know, the seed goes into the ground, and, and so there must be a correspondence there that we bury people, mm. you know, six, six feet under. It's an illustration of bodily death. It's an illustration yeah. of the form of death. Right. And a lot of people preach that. I've heard that in the preachers, you know, the lectures going up. You know, here's, oh, his body's being planted into the ground, and then one day it'll rise up. You know, you, you hear this at funerals and stuff. Mm. Um, and... If that's the case, then there was a, a question that Max King asked, and this, this hooked me, because I had heard that growing up. I thought, yeah, you know, bodies are planted. Even though they didn't, you know, cremation was the Roman norm during the time of the first century, hmm. and ossuaries and stuff like that, putting in caves or tombs, um, was the thing for most of the Jews. I mean, they didn't bury people six feet under. That was, you know, there were all forms of kinds of burials that were going on there. Cremation for the Romans was one of the main ones. And then the Jews, you know, ossuaries, they would put the bones, right. you know, in the, these little ossuaries, and then they put it in the family uh, crypt, you know, these big tombs that they had. Um, so they weren't being buried. So if Paul says what you sow does not come to life unless, it's, unless it dies, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed perhaps of grain or something new. And so King made the joke. He said, look, the seed goes into the ground and then it dies. Hmm. So make sure when you bury me, I'm dead first before you plant me. And I thought, <laughs> ah, and then we all laughed. And oh, yeah, that's right. And that just hooked me. And I thought, right, he can't be talking about physical death here because that would make no sense. Does, does Paul actually say that, that it goes into the ground and then dies? Well, that's how we were pushing it. Okay. I don't think that Paul's doing that at all here. I think Paul's talking about an ordinary seed. Mm. You know, take a seed, for example. He's not talking about the form of death. He's talking about the fact of death. Just, you know, take a seed or something. You throw it into the ground, up comes something that looks completely and entirely different. Right. And, and he's appealing to God's creation, um, seed-bearing seed -bearing plants, Genesis chapter 1. And that's, you know, day 3. And then he goes, he, he, in my book I outline where he's following the order of the right. creation days. He's appealing to the power of God and creation. And then finally he quotes Genesis 2-7. God made out of the dust. He breathes it. So the, the, the appeal to the power and majesty of, of the mystery and awesomeness of the universe and creation, according to Genesis chapter 1, it's almost as if Paul's saying, now you're going to tell me again that he can't raise the dead? Ah. Uh, you know. 
I mean, he's doing all of this, <laughs> and you've got a problem with some bones and some skin and stuff like that. That's your that's your problem. Yeah. You know, and then he calls it a mystery. I don't know how it's done. It's just done. It's he just done. It. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, there's not this one-to-one -one correlation between no. the chronology of the seed. It's just, no. look, here's one of many examples of things that die and come up. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, I see. Now, death and life, death and life, death and life. Right. But but there is a, uh, something, a, a challenge that I've sometimes received from hyperpreterists. Uh, you know, I'm quick to point out that he repeatedly says that the body that is sown is the body that is raised. Uh, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. The body that goes in is the body that comes out. But I, I've frequently been challenged with where Paul says that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. So how do we respond to that challenge? Again, if, if you look at it in the analogy of nature, you don't sow a tree to get a tree. You, you, you deposit a seed to get a tree. Mm -hmm. So there's continuity and incontinuity going there. You can't have a tree without a seed. And most scholars understand what's going on there is that Paul is illustrating on one hand continuity. There is continuity between the seed and the tree. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it becomes. It's what it, it's it's inseparably connected with it. Yet at the same time, there's incontinuity or yeah. discontinuity. Uh, a tree doesn't look like the seed. You know, you got a tiny little seed and you get a big apple tree. Yeah. You know, how do you how does that happen? And I think that that's all Paul's illustrating there. I don't I don't think he's trying to wax eloquent on uh, issues of agriculture and all this other stuff. <laughs> this. This, you know, he's talking to these Corinthians. They were, you know, they would have understood agriculture and seeds. And if you just catch that, catch it like an impressionist painting. He's just throwing this out there, and the and the point that he's getting is is life. He's not making, you know, some people, some of the predators are like, well, a seed, see, has an outer kernel, <laughs> and that goes into the ground, and then what's inside the seed, that's the soul, and that, and I'm like, this is getting too much. Yeah. Um, this this is just too much. Paul's just talking. About, and he, if you read the Greek, it's uh, the NIV really translates the Greek here really well. He says, "When you sow, um, when you sow, you do not plant the body." I would translate that uh, stalk. Mm -hmm. You do not uh, plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. That's a good translation. And so it tells me right there that Paul is not just hanging on to these seeds. It could be a kernel or a grain or something else. You know, whatever, you, you know, agriculture here. You, you. So he's not, you know, pointing to the, again, to the form of death. He's pointing to the fact of death and that death and life apply in the creation of God wherever you look. It's everywhere. It's in the seasons. It's in the heavenly bodies. It's in the. It's it's everywhere. Death and life is going on all over the place. Would it be fair to add to what you just explained by saying that? Uh, it seems to me that he's not only saying the fact of death is that it brings about life, but also that the life that emerges from death is is radically more glorious. Uh, yeah. Transform. It's a transformation of the of the body that went That's into the, it. Just, yeah. The, there is an active work of God at the resurrection of dead that that will take place that transforms the body from a natural body, a decayed body, a corrupted body, a rotted body, whatever you want to call it, regardless of how it's dissipated or scattered at sea or whatever, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Um, that is raised or transformed to spiritual body. And again, he, he stresses the man from heaven. Now, is this before or after the resurrection of, of Jesus? And this has to be 
after. Mm -hmm. Again, if Jesus is in a, in a physically transformed body, notice he calls him the man yeah. from heaven. And that's what he's paralleling him to with the creation of Adam, the natural man. And, and here was another thing that uh, King doesn't bring out. Genesis 2-7 is pre-fall. It's not post-fall. Right. So the natural body that he's referring to is our physical body. And since we all got them, Paul's appealing to the doubters here. We all have them. We all have bodies because we're all in Adam. He just said that all in Adam die and all in Christ we made alive. So he, he's appealing to these universal uh, principles in the creation of God, and he goes back to Genesis, and that's, that's his text, where he's teaching resurrection of the dead out of that text. Yeah, that was one thing that really uh, was an eye-opener for me as I was in, examining um, the claim made not only by hyperpederists but also Jehovah's Witnesses and others that, uh, oh, yeah. th that when it talks about, for example, Jesus having a spiritual body uh, and where it talks about him being, uh, being made a life-giving spirit. Uh, as you say, he's pointing back to that passage in Genesis where uh, the, body, the body of Adam has breathed life into it, and the word there for breathing uh, is – has that that's the background to this life-giving uh, breath, this life-giving spirit right. that Jesus. So, so the whole idea it has nothing to do with him no longer having a body. It has to do with him being the, the the breath of life that gives life to the dead. Is that a fair way to put it? You think? Yeah, yeah. I think I, because he later um, talks about you know that he calls it a mystery. He said, "Beloved, I'm I'm telling you a mystery." Paul's not giving us a point by point. Uh, this cell will be connected to that cell and God's got, he's, he, he doesn't, he just says that he's going to do it. Yeah. It's affirmed. And his response, the, the question is so typical of Greek that we find in the tractates that come in the second century apologists that are arguing against largely the doubters of this idea of resurrection. Mm. This was the single-handed doctrine that turned the world upside down in the second and third centuries because the Greeks just did not have a this this idea of bodily resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, this this was just you know asinine to them. But this is so typically okay, Paul. Uh, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body are they going to come? Right. That's a typical Greek response. And we tried to say that Paul was arguing here that the deniers were denying old covenant Israel in participating in the resurrected. <laughs> corporate body of Jesus and that these doubters were saying how are these Israelites going to come into the body of Christ when and on and on you know wow and we just really elaborated on the whole thing when now I read 1 Corinthians 15 and it's just refreshing Paul's just dealing with doubt and skepticism and this question notice his answer fool yeah fool that's that's a fool says in his heart there is no god right you know and that's Psalm 14 it's the same word aphron and he just says, fool. Well, that's a question of skepticism. You know, what did Jesus say to the Sadducees who had a problem with resurrection? You do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Yeah. You know, so that's what Paul's typical Jewish response foolish. Yeah, so so his, his answer, in answering the question, he is not trying to say, oh, here's an explanation for how it happens, but rather, yeah, you fool, right. look, God does it all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, 
I want to talk about if it's okay with you. And, and by the way, if, if if you're running low on time, we can edit a few questions out. Okay. I want to talk about these two understandings uh, that you find within hyperpetrous circles when it comes to this this body. Um, you talk in your book about a corporate body, and then uh, uh, another view that we'll talk about in a second. But but explain in more detail what what this corporate view of the resurrection in First Corinthians 15 is that hyperpetrists have. Well, I've already hinted at it. It's the corporate body of Christ that. Uh, you have Adam, and we're in Adam and his body, um, in that mode of existence, as we would call it. And upon faith in the work of Christ, we're brought into the body of Christ, and now we're under the mode of his existence and defined by him as a corporate body. I see. Yeah, so and that's what Paul's dealing with in all of this body language. Um, and first, you know, wherever you see body, that's pretty much what he's got in mind, and that's how we interpreted it. Rarely, if at all, does Paul talk about the individual body. I see. And and, and if we talked about this briefly earlier, the, the problem with that, or at least a big problem with that, is as you were explaining, is that that our raising up with Christ happened at His resurrection, not in 70 right. A.D. Is that okay? Well, that had to be worked out in terms of the dying and the rising motif in what we would call the transition generation from 30. A.D., from the cross to the parousia. That was the name of Max's book. Um, cross and the parousia. So from the time of the cross to the parousia of Christ in A.D. 70, there was a dying, and at the same time there was a rising. There was a, there was a putting to death of the old man in Adam under law for the Jews and those that were under the elements of sin and death being involved in Adam for the Gentiles. So there was death going on or being put to death in a corporate sense, and there, there was a rising that was going on, and this transformation was taking place in that transition generation, and when the old covenant ended, the transformation was complete of the body. And, uh, you know, obviously I've got to go into far more detail at <laughs> the time, but that's pretty much what we had going on, and if that's the case, again, with progressive sanctification, that goes out the window for today. Because the only progressiveness that mm. was involved was from 30 to 70 A.D. I see. Okay. So there's no individual. You're not progressing today into anything. So, You're not being conformed. The corporate body of Christ was conformed to the image of God in eighty seventy. So when you come into the body of Christ today, we would argue, you, come, you, you become immediately conformed, immediately sanctified, immediately perfected, immediately glorified, immediately transformed. So why do, immediately. We, why do we continue to sin then? Well, we didn't really <laughs> ask that question. Okay, that. all right, I understand. And when you do ask it, you're going to get, here's, this is where the fragmentation of, of pre, full preterism really takes off. You're going to get 50 different answers on that one. That's okay. currently one of the big elephants in the room. Okay. Because one of our arguments was, if Christ came to defeat death and Christians still die, then he hasn't defeated death. Well, if Christ came to defeat sin and you still sin, then Christ <laughs> hasn't defeated sin. Mm. The sin and death go hand in hand. Um, it, this is where we started getting all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the fragmentation seriously has uh, come into the movement as a whole, very much so. I see. Well, let's talk about the other view then, and, and this is again something you hinted at, which is that the the, uh, the Platonic understanding of that seed, the soul within us, what well, I'm guessing is given some other kind of body, uh, this immortal yeah. body at death view. What do you see as the problem with that understanding? Here you have Kelly Burks, Ed Stevens. It's kind of a minority uh, view. Calvin, it was around in Calvin's day. Uh, he, he explicitly condemns it. 
Um, so you know, it's it's kind of floated around here and there, but it was largely always shot down. Again, every argument uh, that you see from the early church all the way to Aquinas, all the way to Calvin, to today, is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he did not get a new body. He was raised, and it's an empty tomb. If our resurrection is being conformed to his, as Paul says that it is, then we're, there's no transmigration of souls going on. Mm. You know, I'm not leaving this body and going into another body. Yeah. And how is that a resurrection body anyway that's never experienced death? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> so how do you call that a resurrection? Yeah. Um, the term resurrection is applied to bodily resurrection. So on, you can see on several fronts, this just does not. And then uh, it is sown, it is raised. The subject, it, yeah. is, the, is the same and is carried through. Now, you would have to have something going on, and some of them did. Well, the it that is sown is not the same it that is raised. I'm like, I don't, tell, that, <laughs> tell that to a Greek professor, because right. that's not, that isn't going to fly. Yeah, um, so, so, yeah, there's numerous exegetical problems with it. And the main, is, the main one is Jesus himself. Right. Yeah. So. And I, I found it interesting when I read, and I'll, I'll let encourage readers to go check out your book when it's published, and we'll be talking about that in a minute. Uh, but but it was interesting in your book how you talked about how, oh, like you said earlier in the interview, I forgot, that, that they, they basically had to affirm that, uh, that Jesus – Jesus' body, his ascension body, his resurrection body at the ascension or at some point kind of dissipated. And, and, and yeah. it was interesting to read how um, they have to come up with an explanation for why Jesus' resurrection body was in fact the body that went into the uh, into the tomb, but that, was, but that it was a temporary thing. And uh, But then, of course, you would think that if he was the first fruits of our resurrection, then we too would right. be raised. Yeah, it just yeah, it crumbles. You, plan a, you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple. You're not going to get an orange. No, there you go. So that first fruits imagery is, is very powerful, and we would do all kinds of things to counter that because we saw the problems. The immortal body at death people made Jesus the exception. He was the only one that was promised bodily glorified resurrection. And so, you know, Burks and Stevens and these guys would say, no, Jesus' body is in heaven, you know, but he's the only one that was promised that. Well, <laughs> now you're just inventing things. Right. Yeah. So as a full preterist, I never endorsed the immortal body at death. I think I did for like a year because I was coming out of James Stuart Russell's The Parousia, uh, his book, which was written, I think, what, 1898 or something. And he taught but, that Jesus had a... Yeah, no, he taught when you die, we get a body. you know. And that's why his book largely was just rejected. Yeah. You know, the church just like, no, that's not going to... So, yeah, the corporate body was more plausible to me because it did say what was sown... That's the same body that is raised that just redefined body. Right. You know, so it kept consistent in that fashion, and it was more attractive. And it's probably the majority, I would say it's the majority view in the movement as a whole. Yeah. I see. Yep. Well, so then let's return to your story, you know, uh, uh, your story proper then. And it's, you've, you've come to realize after you look at all these issues and several others that, that I haven't talked about because I want my listeners to go check out your book. And, and you realized that this wasn't just something where you've, you adopt a new eschatolo eschatological view and everything else fits perfectly fine. Re no, quite the contrary. You, there's inescapable conclusions in every sphere of theology that, that results in a Christian faith looks nothing like the Christian faith. So, yeah. so, uh, 
so what did this process then? Once once this hit you, and, and like you said, it just dawned on you. I can't. I'm not a full preterist anymore. But what did the process of coming out of the movement look like? When is it that you left hyperpreterism? Where did you go from there? And what sort of reactions did you have? Um. Well, we yeah, we've covered some of that. I mean, it was just it was a gradual thing. I tried to hang on to my full preterism as much as I could, because I I had sacrificed and invested so much in it, and I was so convinced by it. You know, at at the time, and and Don Preston was just publishing uh, exegetical essays on the resurrection of the dead, and I had canceled my contract with Bimillennial Publications, which is Tim King and Max King's outfit. And I, Don and I were going to re-edit Misplaced Hope. So I was a, that's the summer of 2010. So I was as happy as a kid in a candy store because to be endorsed by Don Preston, who is single-handedly the main spokesman, uh, most I, I would say the most um, visible hmm. um, spokesman for the movement as a whole and um, you know th- this was a big thing for me I was like oh. but then this whole infinity thing started so I just I try, and then I was scheduled to speak at the largest full preterist conference of, in 2011 I was scheduled to speak at Don's preterist pilgrim weekend which is kind of the premier preterist conference full preterist conference so it just everything just started unraveling, and I tried to hang on to it. I went kicking and screaming. I it was anguish. I had made a lot of friends. Don, I I respected Don. I still respect Don, and I just it was a hard time. I mean, it was I, I just but the more I saw it, it just kept coming in in waves. John six, First Corinthians fifteen. I was like, man, I've been hoodwinked. You know, I've just I've been hoodwinked. You know, it's like getting hit by a truck, <laughs> <laughs> and you just wake up and you're like. What in the world? Um, man, I missed it. Boy, did I really miss it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. And then it, uh, that summer, end of, you know, the fall, by December of 2010, I wrote, I think, a response on our website. Hey, you know, I'm ready to announce I'm no longer a full preterist. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm done with it. Done with the movement. I called up Don. Don, I won't be speaking this year. Um I want my books canceled, you know, stop, stop publishing, stop printing them. And, uh, you know, I'm not giving you misplaced hope. I, I don't hope, I hope nobody ever reads that book ever again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, we were just written in that year, you know, house divided with Ed Hassert. So Ed Hassert and Mike Sullivan and Dave Green, they really turned on me. Hmm. I mean, they came out, he never was a full preterist. He's in this for the money. He's turned his back on God. Uh, he's, he's a butt kisser. Uh, Dr. Talbot has 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 influenced him in the cult of Talbotism. You know, I mean, just on and on and on. I mean, it's just like, man, oh man. You know, I'm a I'm a man pleaser. I mean, just just on and on. I mean, it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> these were my friends. Right. I wrote a book with these guys. These guys, you know, Dave Green and I go way 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 back. And uh, it you know it, it's it was something else. What what got you through that? I'm just curious. What what, what? God. God. Yeah. Okay. That's a good answer. <laughs> Jason Bradfield was there. Doctor Tao. I had a, you know a lot of people were, a lot of people came out of the woodwork that were praying for me in the Reformed community. Um, you know, man, we've been praying for years, for years. You know, because you know, it's a likable guy. I don't have a lot of you know enemies or whatever. I try to make friends wherever I go. I get that from my stepfather, and he always tried to teach you know live at peace, try to get along with everybody. You know, stand your ground, state your positions, but, you know, try to be at peace with everybody. Yeah. Oh, well, all right, that's a good philosophy to live by. <laughs> um, 
so all these people started like, man, we can't believe you came out of this. We've been praying for years. I mean, a lot of people came out. So I had a lot of encouragement. You know, don't take it hard. Keep it. Keep going. Keep moving. You know, God's at work in your life and that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. And I appreciated the prayers and and all of that. Now, after a year and a half, I'm nearly two years. I full, you know, it, it's I don't call it full. It's hyper preterism. Mm. It's heretical. It's dangerous. It will destroy a church if you let it inside that church. Um, it undermines the historic Christian faith and it undermines the faith of, of what has made Christianity Christianity. That's in my book. I think you read the what I sent to you. Yep. Um, and I make no bones about that and no apologies for it. And I don't water down the gospel, nor will I water down the definition of Reformed, and I won't water down the definition of Christianity anymore, which is what I was doing in full preterism. We watered it down so much. Please accept us. Please accept us as Christians. <laughs> please, please accept us as Christians. Um, but in order to do that, we had to water it down. Yeah. You, under you understand. Yeah. I ain't doing that anymore. Well, I think that's good. That. <laughs> I think that's good. It, it's been a, it's it's a great story, but there is a kind of, I don't want to necessarily use the word negative here, a negative aspect to the story, which which goes back to the beginning of your story. Uh, th this is going to be a little tough, I think, for some of us preterists. It, back in the beginning of the story, the reason that hyperpreterism appealed to you, if I understood your book was correctly, is not primarily because it answered questions that your former dispensationalism had not. It was preterism that answered some of those, but rather it was that there were that preterism still left some questions unanswered, that you liken them to leaks in a dam. So the question I have for you as we get close to wrapping up here is, what are some of these issues in which we as preterists uh, have some legwork to do? What, what, what do we have to be honest about in, in our view that, that we need to do some exegetical legwork to solve? I have I've just finished an article which will be available. Um, we're going to have it in our bookstore. It's kind of like a little pamphlet tract that I wrote. Dealing with math, a fresh look at Matthew 24, and there I've talked with Joel McDermott and stuff. There's so much material that's out there. For instance, you have people that are taking Second Peter three. I don't know about you. Second Peter three is 80-70. Hmm. You know, you got Peter Lightheart and James Jordan and John Brown and John Lightfoot, and you can go down the list of. That's always a minority position. Most people understand Second Peter three is is referring to the second coming of Christ. Um, there, there's just. The way that, for instance, is there just one and only one parousia mentioned in the Bible? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, well, that's a huge problem because uh, the traditional understanding is that there is. Now, N.T. Wright has been attacking that. Uh, Scott McKnight and a few others have been coming at that saying Schweitzer was wrong. These guys were wrong to insist that Jesus envisioned only one and one only coming. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't envision that. I think Luke, again, in my article, Luke goes out of his way to mention the days of the Son of Man. And then he mentions the days of Noah. There's a universal judgment. And then he mentions the days of Lot. That's a local judgment. Yeah. Well, how many days of, them are the, of the Son of Man are there? There's, now, there's two comings of the Lord right there in the but, Old Testament. But, but how many of the days of the... Right. Yeah. He, there's universal. He rides on the clouds of heaven. So that, there's a lot of... Uh, things and even G.K. Bill notes that these are thorny issues and, and they're, they're, they seem to eschatology seems to be entangled and it's often from what we know now it appears to be difficult was he talking about the final coming here or is Paul talking about the 8070 here and that's where the work needs to really be done I think it can be done but that's where it needs to be done because sometimes we we surrender too much that someone could come along and say, hey, that just 
you know, I'm just 10 seconds away from full preterism if I follow you. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues that need to be dealt with. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, speaking of this multiple parousias or, you know, which, which ones refer to the coming in eighty seventy, and which ones refer to the second coming, Dee Dee has been promoting a, a view that she has become convinced of that, that I find pretty compelling, which is that... I haven't looked into that. I, want, I need to look into her thing, because I know she's thought a lot about this. Okay, well then I'll, I'll just... What is it? I mean, what... Well, yeah, basically, what she, she argues that the, uh, that the coming of Christ, and, and mind you... You should go to her for this because she's going to be able to explain yeah. it better than I can. But from, my, from what I understand, and I find this compelling, uh, she says that the, the biblical vision of the of the coming of Christ uh, it was not an instant in time, but rather it was the entire period of his mm-hmm. uh, coming, uh, the entire church history. You know, it's uh, unfolding. It's an unfolding, right? And, and as an example of this, she she points out how it says that you, uh, he, Jesus says to the people to whom he was speaking, the 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 the, um, uh, the Sanhedrin, that uh, fr- from this day on, you will see the Son of Man coming on the uh, cloud, sitting, you know, coming coming on the clouds and yeah. uh, and sitting, you know, uh, sitting at the right hand of God. Now the point is, from her perspective, she doesn't see how you how you could uh, put one and done on that. Well, and and. And the fact that he appears to be standing and sitting or coming and sitting at the same time, which totally yeah, seem yeah. to conflict one another. But the point is, the imagery appears to be of this, uh, his entire reign, uh, mm-hmm. his entire millennial reign, which I think you and I believe is, is right now, um, is, uh, is his coming. Here's another thing. Last days. I was convinced, like the dispensationalist, the last days for the dispensationalist refers to the last three and a half years of history or seven years, however, which one depends on which one you look at. But relative, it's a relatively short period of time. Right. So, the, so also the full preterist. Last days leads up to eighty seventy. That was the that that generation. Those were the last days, and then that's it. I I am convinced that the latter times refers to the entire Christian Era. time. Yeah. And I'm also convinced that the ends of the ages. Which Paul says has come before eighty seventy. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, "Who has appeared once at the end of the age?" Well, this is bef- this is way he's talking about his first advent. Yeah. Um, I'm convinced that the ends of the ages plays itself out through chronology. We're not told how long this goes on. In fact, Jesus specifically denies it. I don't know. Neither do you. Mm. He's, <laughs> the son. I don't even know. And so it seems as if. And I write this in the article. This is what really hit hard uh, of this supposed division in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will not will pass. And here he's affirming it. I thought, oh, this is so simple. <laughs> Heaven and earth will pass away. Yeah. But my words will not ever pass away. Now about that day, well, what day? Heaven and earth passing away. That's the last day. Now yeah. about that day, heaven and earth out. I don't. So they're asking a question. When is heaven and earth going to pass away? Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen to you guys. Heaven and earth will, and then he concludes, heaven and earth will pass away. Now about that, I don't know. Mm. In other words, that's his answer. Mm. You know, Here's what's going to happen to you guys, but about heaven and earth passing away, that's something only known to the Father, the set times and seasons. That, and this is the same question, are you this time you're going to restore Israel? Because that carried with it the connotation. You know, of of ending events of history as we know it, and bringing in the events of history in terms of the of, of Israel ruling and reigning. This is what they were asking, and Jesus again responds, "That's not for you to know the times, the f- plural and dates, plural <laughs> the Father has set." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh man, we don't know." 
Yeah. Well, so what am I supposed to do? Keep your wicks trimmed, keep the oil in your lamp, and always be ready because there's many comings. He comes to you personally. He can come locally. He can come in a flight. He can come, you know, congentry documents. This stuff. He can come to Sardis. He said, you know, be careful, or else I will come to you and snuff out your. He's not talking about 70 A.D. There. He who stands firm to the end. Well, is that eighty seventy? Because a lot of them didn't make it to then; they were killed. Mm. To the end of your life, mm. this is the coming of the Lord. This is when God personally comes, and you know, so just a whole lot of things there that are able to be explored. That the full preterist, much like the dispensationalist, with his charts and everything's <laughs> nice and neat and a nice little neat black and white package. And I just don't think eschatology is is that static. Yeah. I don't think it can be fit into any of that kind of stuff. I think it's pliable, malleable, fluid. It, it, it you know, you know what I mean? It's it's something that just it breathes. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's alive. Yeah. Um, wars and rumors and wars did not stop in eighty seventy. Last I checked. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Famine, earthquake. You know. Right. Still have those things. Right. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, oh, we've been going at this what an hour and a half almost. That's actually not unusual. Many of my interviews go two hours, and I break them oh, up. Into well, two I hope episodes, it's interesting. People, I, I'm sure they will, because I've been fascinated, and um, uh, you know, it, it's been a very moving story. And, and what I want to do as we wrap up is give you an opportunity to share a sort of parting message with uh, with our listeners today. Maybe there's some hybrid preterists listening. In fact, personally, I suspect that they probably will, and then they'll oh yeah, they'll probably send me all sorts of emails or oh, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But but if, if they're listening, or if there are or if there are people who are finding themselves c- compelled to believe in hyperpreterism because some of their seemingly good arguments. To these various groups of people that might listening, what sort of parting message might you leave for them? Uh, caution. If you're looking at this, um, and it appears, oh, this is all great. Uh, as one that was totally convinced in it, I, I, am, I have grown more cautious um, to embrace particular, and you know, I, I now realize that I don't know as much as what I thought I knew mm. and was convinced of what I thought was the absolute truth. This will never change. This is it. Um, I would say, you know, with with my example, just don't just, you know, take it easy, you know, investigate this. Don't, you know, get into this and then become one of these rabid full preterists because it's just, um, you know, it's not a picnic. Yeah. You're playing, and plus you're playing with fire. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're really playing with fire here. And I'm not questioning, you know, if, you know, if, there's a, if you're a hyper-preterist, you're automatically going to hell. That's up to God. I don't, I don't know any of that. But I will say this, confidently, it's not Christianity. Mm. It's not Christian. It's not born of God. It's not of God. It is a doctrine of man. And it's opposed ultimately to the Christian church and it's opposed ultimately to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where I say you're you're playing with fire here. Well, like you said, so go easy, you know, take it easy. Yeah. Like like I think you said when you were still hyperpreterist if I'm remembering Didi's show correctly, you actually admitted that if the resurrection didn't happen in the past, oh, yeah, all, we all did. Yeah, Dave Green did, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just finish what I was saying in case people don't catch it. Is if I mean, because of course what I'm referring to is where Paul calls the error of Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, oh, yeah. uh, shipwrecking sh- shipwrecking heresy. You know, shipwrecking cancer. Yep. Um. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I we our listeners need to be, need to approach the subject very cautiously, recognizing that as you say, if hyperpreterism is wrong, then to be finding yourself 
persuaded by it, like you say, you're playing with fire, potentially quite literally. <laughs> this was something I saw. If Paul, you know, he doesn't mess around with this doctrine. Mm. You know, he calls these guys fools. I mean, he's, he's you know, I, some of you are ignorant of God. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, he's he's launching against these guys. It's not as if Paul is saying, if you affirm the resurrection of Jesus, but you deny the the future resurrection of the dead, you're okay. Mm. What Paul is saying there forcefully is if you deny the resurrection of the dead, the future resurrection of the dead, then you automatically deny the resurrection of Christ. Right. Whether you affirm it or not makes no difference. Yeah. Because to deny the one is to deny the other. So it's absurd for Paul to hang on to, well, we believe Jesus was raised. We just don't <laughs> believe in the future bodily resurrection, if that's what Paul's talking about. Yeah. If that is what Paul's talking about, and this is where caution comes in. If Paul really is talking about that, the resurrection of the body at the end of history on the last day, that's what he's talking about. And you deny that, you've put your soul in jeopardy. Yeah. That's, that, that's, so whatever that definition is of resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, you better get, you better get that one right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Get this one right. Yeah. Don't get this one wrong. And uh, I think the church has, by the power of the Holy Spirit that has filled our members for 2,000 years, I think with, with the grand consensus of the spirit, Greek Orthodox, uh, you know, Russian Orthodox, Roman Catholic, the various denominations, we say every Sunday and confess, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead, and we look forward to life in the age to come. And we say this in unison, and this is the great voice of the church in worship to God, and the full preterist just can't join into that chorus. Yeah. You know, so you're, take those words of caution. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, to end things, let's. You, I think you mentioned in, in the interview that your book is due out in September. Where can my listeners go once it's available to get their hands on a copy of your book? Well, you know, like Amazon, all the regular places. Uh, American Vision, Gary Demar's outfit, is publishing it. Um, and Joel McDermott's got a follow-up book to the debate that he had with Don Preston. So that's a whole package kind of thing coming out. Um, so that I think it's September. I sent him the last chapter, so they're proofreading and editing and doing all that stuff with whatever they, you know, these publisher people do. <laughs> and it's called um, and it's called Why I Left Full Preterism, right? Yeah, Joel came up with that title. I had another title, and Joel said, "No, let's just call it this." <laughs> well, all right. And it's an every man's approach. It's not academic. I'm not. It's not chalked with footnotes. It's like you and me sitting down uh, to uh, uh, a, a steak dinner with a bottle of Merlot or something, and just having a conversation. That's just the way I wrote it. And yeah, it's and it's it it's out. and it's not very long either. Yeah, you know? you've read it. Right. Yeah. In fact, I read it in a few hours. You know, it's not very long. So what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. It was. Uh, oh. I'll, I'll give you one of the things that, that amazed me. I'd never considered before, and uh, hopefully, you don't mind me giving a little bit of a something away in the book. Uh, oh. You 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 make the argument from the Abrahamic promise that he would be heir of the world. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that was an amazing argument that I had never considered before. I, I'm just I got to credit, it. and I do in the book, I credit Jason Bradfield for that one. Mm, yeah. That he, was, he dug that argument, and then you, you start reading it, and you're seeing you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of people saying that. Yeah. Um, but that, that, Joel used that at the debate with Don Preston, and Preston just simply didn't, his answer to it was abysmal. Mm. I, no. Speaking of that debate, is there anywhere that my listeners and I can find that debate? Is there a recording of it anywhere? Yeah, you'll have to go to Preston's site eschatology.org because I think he had the license the way that Joel and him worked out their agreements or something. So that you'll have to get that through Don Preston. Okay. Es um, eschatology.com. 
.org. Or sorry, eschatology.org. That's Preston's site, yeah. But so if you wanted that debate, you'd have to get it from him. Does that and he's mean, got the debate we hosted. See, we hosted a lot of debates with Don when I was pastoring the church with James B. Jordan mm -hmm. and with Thomas Ice, uh, the dispensationalist. And he's got all that stuff on his store. He sells all that stuff. Did, I'm still I'm still on those tapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those conferences. So my stuff is still out there, and I'm like, man, you know, can you get rid of that? You know. But whatever, it, you know, it's history. It is what it is. Okay. I can't do anything about it. I'll admit that I've got a little bit of a. I'm not. I'm not certain how I feel about purchasing something when that money's going toward Don Press. I know. That's well, just kind of research. Yeah. You know, I've. You know, I've got a fairly large private library, and I always tell people one of my whole sections is devoted to atheism and science and evolutionary <laughs> philosophy. That's completely, you know, ungodly. Um, but I got to know my enemy. Yeah. So you know, I gotta if I give him twenty bucks here, and, it's not like you're supporting him monthly. Yeah, that's a good point. Feed, that's a good right? point. Very good point. Okay, and it's not like we're giving him tons of money. It, it, oh yeah, you're just buying a product. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and where can uh, to this, defeat him with? To defeat him with exactly <laughs> right. That's awesome. You're not really supporting. That makes me feel a little better about it. Yeah. Uh, now now where can they go to find? Where can listeners go to find Reign of Christ Ministries online? And if they have questions for you, maybe maybe they need somebody to talk to to help them through these kinds of issues. Is there a way they can contact you? Yeah, we're, my phone number is there on the website, and I'm available for uh, conferences, seminars. We're putting on a couple that we're working on right now. We've had some other people that have called us that are having some issues with hyper-preterists in their church, and they want to set up seminars. And So I'm just – it's this is what the Lord has done, and I'm, I find myself now doing the exact opposite of what I was doing before. And I'm like, well, this – but God's funny. You know, he's <laughs> – he is what he is. And where is that website online? It's the website, Jason Bradfield, our, my wonderful friend, um, designs it. It's the www.thereignofchrist.com. And uh, we're writing on that almost every day. We've got tons of articles, podcasts. We've got all kinds of stuff. And we're, we're even doing more um, in the future. We've just got a lot of projects and a lot of stuff that we're, we're doing to dissuade people from this heresy. Yeah. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'll make sure to include links to that in, in the show notes yeah, so people yeah. can check it out. And I, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you being it. Here. I had fun. Me too. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the interview with Sam Frost and that it encouraged you. I'll be having Sam's ministry partner, Jason Bradfield, on in the near future to share his story out of hyperpreterism. So join me for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. Until then.